I'm Emma Woodhouse. I'm a two-time NCAA All-American, former Division I downhill skier, and host of the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. Each week, I'll get to interview some amazing and strong female athletes to discuss important topics in women's sports and what goes on inside the brain of an athlete. Perfectionism, recovering from injury, and bullying are just some of the many things that can defeat your spirits and ruin your confidence to perform. I know what it's like to feel hopeless, not knowing why you're not performing the way you want, and to feel alone thinking that no one could relate to what you're going through. Well, I'm here to change that. I'll bring these topics and stories to light and show you that you are not alone and that you can overcome those barriers to breakthrough. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. I'm your host, Emma Woodhouse, and today I am joined by professional hockey player Reagan Rust. She is a former D1 hockey player who played for RIT and then Boston University, where she was inducted into the Beanpot Hall of Fame and was actually the first women's D1 hockey player to come from Mississippi. Reagan is also a mental health advocate podcast host of the Unpaid Path podcast, and founder of the Female Athlete Society. This episode is filled with amazing stories that are both heartwarming and shocking. She talks about her childhood hockey trips, where she would have to drive many hours just to get to the one hockey rink in the state. She goes into detail about her mental health struggles, especially in the darkest moments of her life, and then she brings it all together to talk about what she's up to now and how she's advocating for people who deal with their mental health battles every day. There were so many great things she shared, and she gave some really great advice on going to therapy, getting out of your comfort zone, as well as shifting your beliefs on mental health. Quick disclaimer for this episode. Topics of suicide and suicidal thoughts are mentioned in this episode, so if that is triggering at all for you, please do not listen to this episode. You are going to love listening to Reagan's stories, and before we get into the interview, if you are loving the podcast or this episode, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast on Spotify. I would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast and what you resonated with most in these chats. It would help out the podcast so much, and it would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for all of your support. Now, let's chat with Reagan. All right. Welcome, Reagan, to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So how are you? How is life? It's good. It's really cold where I am. It's also really cold where you are, too. Um, I'm here in Sweden right now. I've been here for like the past six months. I've watched all the seasons so far come and go, but I can't wait for the summertime. I'm really looking forward to more sunshine. Yeah. So what has it been like living in Sweden? It surprisingly has not been a huge culture shock. It's probably because everyone here speaks English and I like live in a big city. So I'm in Stockholm and everyone's super friendly. If you get the chance to talk to them. Otherwise, like everyone's pretty reserved on that side, but it's a beautiful city. Um, My teammates are awesome and it's been really fun so far. Can't complain. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, my teammates I had in college, so they were, a few were from Norway and then a couple from Sweden and they all spoke perfect Mm -hmm. English. Yeah. I was like almost surprised. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like I coach U14 boys over here too. And almost all of them are like super confident with their English. And so it makes it so much easier for me. 
And even like I did a, a camp, a little, I think it was like a 10 U voice camp. And even they could talk to me in English. It was like, obviously like on the elementary side, but it was still really good. And I was, I was like, I can't even speak Swedish. So good on you guys. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I wish we had like a more rigorous language classes. Like for me mm-hmm. in Canada, French was like, we grew up having French classes, but it really wasn't to the extent where people would be fluent. <laughs> so yeah, like, that's awesome that they're like, I feel like that's just part of their curric- curriculum is to learn English. So that's cool. Yeah. It's part of a lot of the curriculum and they start really young. Like I think it would say all over Europe because we just got um, a German kid onto our team and his English is really good as well. I'm like, how do you guys learn all these languages? <laughs> <I'm> jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, so what's the most interesting things that you've had to adapt to while living in Sweden? And I know you also lived in another country and competed in hockey. So what are some interesting things that you've had to adapt to living over there? So I was in Budapest last year. Um, I ended up only being there for about a month and a half and it was a lot of fun. Also really difficult too. Cause like COVID when we got there, everything was open and then COVID shut everything down about probably six weeks in. So they closed all the bars that we'd been going to all the restaurants, all the schools got shut down and I ended up going home because of that reason. But when I was over there, it was kind of a, it was definitely a different situation than here in Sweden because not everyone could speak English over there. Like half my teammates could, half my teammates couldn't. My trainer didn't speak any English. So we didn't really know what was going on. It always had to be translated to us. But now like coming here, I mean, my coach is from Canada. We have two Canadians, one Finnish, one girl from Czech, one from Switzerland, and then the rest are Canadian. And so like we have a pretty good mix. And so our main language in the locker room is English. And so the transition honestly hasn't been as hard as I thought it was going to be because Budapest felt pretty hard, but this one was like a breeze. And so I'm super grateful for having good teammates and friends over here. Yeah. That's so awesome that they're all from different countries and really like all English speaking. So that's really, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. nice to be able to adapt well while you're there. Yeah, for sure. And it just helps too that like we're a pretty close team. So like if I wanted to go hang out with anyone or if I wanted to call anyone, I could. Like this morning, for example, I called one of my teammates who has two kids and they are so cute. And so I was talking to them, but it's like her little baby is like three, I think three years old. And so he can only say, what's up? Hello. I love you. (laughs) And it's super cute. Oh my God. That's so cute. (laughs) Yeah. He's my favorite. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And so let's just get right into your background with hockey. And I just, I first want to know, has it always been your dream to become a professional hockey player? No, it actually (laughs) hasn't surprisingly. Well, that's mainly because I didn't know it was really an option, especially growing up because I'm from Mississippi and They didn't start the first professional league until I was in my 11th grade year. So like the first, well, what they consider viable professional league. So that was like the NWHL and the CWHL. And so I hadn't really heard much of it until that point in time. But then when that happened, I was like, oh, well, I'll never be able to make any money doing that. I won't be able to like live playing hockey. And 
then I found out that Sweden and like Europe was an option where they'll pay for all of your expenses and everything like that. So growing up, didn't really know about it. But once I got into my later years of high school and into college, I realized it could be an option for me. Yeah. And you just said you're from Mississippi. And yeah, now that like I'm thinking about it, like, is there where are the hockey rinks? <laughs> there, I I really think there's only one right now. There could be two, but I think there's one in the entire state. And it's like, it's a decently big state. I think driving all the way down to the coast from the top of it is like six hours. And so for there only to be one rink there, it's pretty wild. Um, and then the next closest one I would say is either in Arkansas or three hours north in Nashville, Tennessee. So, wow. Yeah. So it's <laughs> so pretty wild. Yeah. So how are you able to, to get really good at it? If you had to travel so much, like how much could you really practice? When I first started out, so probably for like the first five years, I would say I got maybe one or two practices a month, uh, <laughs> which isn't a lot whatsoever. <laughs> so I also played for like a boys travel team. And so we would go on the weekends to go play other teams. But I picked that up probably when I was like 10 or 11. And then I played, I started playing for a girls travel team in Nashville. So we were going there almost every weekend to like other surrounding places like St. Louis and Huntsville, Alabama, all those different places. And then um, we made our way up to Pittsburgh, which was 12 hours away. My mom, bless her soul, would drive me every other weekend, 12 hours there, 12 hours back. So it's, it was really hard to get good. Oh my God. Yeah. The traveling. Wow. Like I, yeah, that's great commitment for your mom too. <laughs> like yeah. she was in it with you. A hundred percent. I'm so thankful for like all the sacrifices she made. And even like I, one of my best friends, she ended up playing D3 college and she's from West Memphis, Arkansas. And so we would be on every road trip together. Like we, there, there's no one I spent more time in the car with than that girl. She, <laughs> and we've had to have clocked over like 2000 hours together in a car, which is insane. Oh, <laughs> are you still yeah. good friends now? Yeah, I was actually just talking to her yesterday. We've been friends since, well, since I was five and I tripped around a breakaway. We weren't friends then, but we became friends in middle school. <laughs> um, but we always joke about that situation. <laughs> that was so cute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's get into, because you talked about it a little bit with your college career. First, tell us like what that experience was like for you competing on a college team. And then I also, through your social media, I found out that you had transferred mm-hmm. to Boston. So yeah, just tell us about that experience. So, I mean, playing D1 was a dream come true for me because like, although I did have my sights set on playing pro, I did have my sights set on playing D1. And that was like, I think in the fifth grade, I made like a 10 year plan to go play division one. It was supposed to be at Harvard. I ended up at RIT at first, um, but everything happens the way it's supposed to. And so whenever I got there, like I walked in, signed myself into the school. I drove driven all the way from Dallas, Texas by myself. So that was about like a 24 hour drive. Uh, I had all my stuff in my car and then my coach was showing me around and I just like saw all my gear in my stall and I was like, wow, I've never had like a full set of matching gear. Like this is insane. And, um, it was pretty surreal. Like just to see my, my name on the nameplate in like multiple stalls. I had a dry stall and I had my locker room stall and like my sticks had my name on it. Like 
all that stuff is what kids dream of. I think it was a lot of fun, regardless of like the first year losing season, there was a lot of good things that came out of it for me. Like all the great people that I met, how I transitioned playing from like forward to defense halfway through the season. And, you know, I couldn't really, I wouldn't change anything about the experience at RIT, even though like, as you've seen, like on my social media, I've talked about how I had an abusive coach who did not treat his players properly. He no longer works there, thankfully, but like the stuff that he put us through mentally and physically was not right. Um, And that's what led me ultimately to transfer. And when I got to Boston University, it was complete 180 from the situation that I had been in prior. I went from a bottom five team to a top 10 hockey team in NCAA D1. And um, the coaches there, I just, I, I love them so much. I love all my teammates from there. And just like the education that I got is second to none it's like an amazing opportunity that being able to go to Boston gave me yeah that's awesome that you transferred out of that situation Mm -hmm. from RIT and so yeah just talk about when you were in the transferring process like what were you really scared to transfer out or like where you wanted to go like did you have that all figured out that you wanted to go to Boston I had no idea what I was doing (laughs) I had little guidance. Um, I had been talking to a few people that had coached me in the past or had given me guidance prior. They connected me with like the Merrimack coach and the BU coach, but nothing was set in stone when I asked for my release, which was like the scariest part. I didn't know about like a transfer portal. I don't even think it was like a big thing to go into the transfer portal at the time. And so Basically, what I did was I went to the assistant athletic director. I asked for my release and I just gave him like 10, I think 10 schools to like throw them off any trail that they could possibly have on me because I was very scared when I was asking for my release um, because I know I know how he had treated people in the past that had asked for the release. And so like I didn't want that to happen to me. So when I went to go sit down and talk with him. I've never been so nervous for a conversation in my life. Nothing will ever top that conversation. I'm so much more confident now in like one-on-ones, but that was super scary because I got really vulnerable and was telling him like how depressed I was and like how I had tried so many different things. Like I had hung out with different people. I had gone on adventures. Like I didn't just stay in my room, even though I was depressed. And the only thing that he said to me was like, leave your gear, uh, go tell the other coaches because I'm not going to be the one to do it. He didn't really, it didn't feel like he gave me the respect that I had wanted in that situation. And so I I shook his hand and I probably grabbed it with like two fingers because like I was like shaking so much, like it was rough. And so I was like, well, thank you for everything. Like, I really appreciate you giving me opportunity. I left the room, closed the door, talked to the assistant coaches. They were a lot kinder, which was like a breath of fresh air because I was so scared just to tell them again. And then I went to the locker room and basically I was packing my stuff. Two girls were showering. Everyone else had left for spring break. And then he just like started banging on the door and I was like, what is going on? He's like, who's in here? And I didn't answer. I was like, I was literally frozen in fear. And the two girls that were in the shower were like, we're in here. Like, don't come in. We're showering. And so he was just like waiting outside, pacing back and forth. 
And the girls came out, saw me, I packed up all my stuff. They were like, let's talk about this. I was like, no, like I got to get going. And so it was not a great experience leaving the rink that day. It was like the scariest time of my life because I just about how he reacted. I didn't know what he was going to do if he saw me in that locker room, packing all my stuff up. And I think like if I would have stayed in that locker room and if those two girls weren't in there, he would have convinced me to try and stay or been really mean to me. And I have no, I have no idea which one it would have been. I'm just glad I got out of there. Oh my God. (laughs) That's all (laughs) I can say. Oh my gosh. I, I just want to say one, how brave you are for doing that and just telling him being face-to-face, being so vulnerable. And oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine how I would be terrified as well. If that were to happen to me, I'd be terrified talking like, yeah, that's that's so amazing that you did that. Thank you. Yeah. It was definitely really scary in the moment. And even like later on, I, I have a feeling that he scheduled games against Boston university because I was there. They had never played BU until the year that I transferred. And I was like, this is suspicious. And it was so funny. Like I went back in the summertime because like I wanted to clear the air and like be on good terms because I didn't want him to be mad at me, for, even though he shouldn't be mad at me. Like it's not, it wasn't anything. Well, it was a little bit against him, but I wasn't going to tell him that. <laughs> but I, I messaged him. I was like, Hey, like, are you in your office? Cause I went back to go visit some friends in Rochester. And he was like, yeah, like I'm here. So I knocked on the door. He came and answered. I sat down and I was like, hey, I'm really sorry for like how things went about earlier this year, even though I should have been apologizing. I still did it anyways. Just, I guess to be the bigger person. And I was like, I saw that we're going to play each other. So like, good luck. And he was like, yeah, you know, best of luck to you at BU. And I was like, thank you. And I left there and I was just like in my head, you know, and you're just like, ah, like screaming internally. Like that's what I was doing when I left. <laughs> I know but, that exact yeah. feeling. <laughs> yeah. I, I was sweating. My palms were really sweaty for sure. <laughs> Well, that was at least like a nice closure, at least like he wasn't mad, but like, (laughs) I'm glad that he's not there anymore that he's like, is he, what, what happened with that? Do you know if like, if maybe there were some complaints that came in or like, do you know? (laughs) Probably some complaints, if not a lot of complaints, but they had just been on a losing season for such a long time. And even some girls had tried to file a complaint with the athletic director at the time, nothing ever came about of it. Um, I think they tried to, in my opinion, I think they tried to brush it under the rug. And even after I posted that video, like telling my story, the current head coach reached out to me, like texted me. And then she was like, can we chat? And then she never got back to me. I was like, Oh, what is going on? Like, why are you talking to me? This is not my problem. But whenever he came to play us at, at BU, it was super funny because like in the first period, within like five minutes, I got fed a puck in the neutral zone. I went, took a slap shot, scored. And <laughs> I know right then and there, he was so mad. He didn't shake my hand after after we won that game. But oh, uh, <laughs> oh, oh my God, this guy. <laughs> I know. just keep at, adding to the fuel. I'm just like, mm, mm, no. I know. It's uh, <laughs> It's fine now. I'm like, it's good that I've like processed it, all of the mm. the trauma I guess I faced, but 
the time it was not super fun. <laughs> no. Oh my God. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now I really want to get into talking about your mental health journey. Um, you had mentioned that you've had de- depression. And so, and I love that you are very open and honest on your social media page. And so I just love for you to just talk about that. And when that, when you started to really feel differently internally. So a lot of it stems from like my upbringing and my family, because, you know, in my past, like my uncle, my great grandfather, like my great grandfather committed suicide when my dad was younger. My dad has had troubles like dealing with that his whole life. My uncle was diagnosed with, I believe, bipolar, bipolar disorder. My sister also had that. And so mental health just runs in my family, a lot of different mental health disorders. And when I was 14, that was when I took on a lot of responsibility for like myself to like make a better future, I guess. So I really did way too much. I was doing five different sports. I was president of my class. I was valedictorian. I was doing all these things and I could not handle it at one point. Like, I think there was probably like two months worth of time where I was like, wow, I want to die. And I didn't know who to talk to at the time. And the day that I wanted to commit suicide, that I decided that I was going to, I got in a fight with my mom on the way to the grocery store and she ended up going inside and I stayed in the car and out of the blue, like every time I tell this, I always think like, I don't know if this actually happened or not. Like, I don't know if that girl actually called my phone or if it was like someone else. It was just crazy. I just got this phone call and this girl that I'd known since kindergarten was like, Reagan, I just wanted to let you know, like, you're a really good friend. And like, I'm really glad to like know you. And it was maybe 30 second tops conversation. She's like, but I can't talk. Like, I got to go. I'll talk to you later. Bye. And that saved my life. I it's, it's kind of insane to like tell that story. That was the first time I really struggled with depression, anxiety. It happened a lot throughout like high school. Cause I went to five different high schools. And so like, that's a, a lot of change for someone who's so young. And then obviously my freshman sophomore year, like it was a lot was stemming from like the losing season and like the coach that didn't treat me properly. And then whenever I transferred to BU, that was probably the second worst time in my life um, with like suicidal thoughts, depression. And then I had a little bit of PTSD from like how I was treated at RIT. And so it's all happened in different ways. I got through it, thankfully, good support system, understanding like my thoughts and my emotions now. It's not always the easiest thing to talk about. Although like I am very comfortable talking about like everything that I've dealt with in my life when you're in the moment, it's, it can be really hard. I'm thankful to be like one of the best headspaces that I've ever been in, which, you know, 14 year old Reagan, 19, 20 year old Reagan never would have thought I would make, have made it here. So that's a little bit of the journey. It's a lot longer if I go into details, but yeah, it's a little bit of it. Yeah. Wow. And so I really, I'm really curious. So when you talked about when you were younger, wanting to do all these things, wanting to build a better life for yourself. What, what does that mean? 
So my mom was a single parent. My dad didn't really come around a lot. And I know like my, my oldest brother ended up dropping out of college, going back to college, dropping out, had a kid at like 20 years old. So he had kind of struggled. He also has a little bit of anger management issues that he hasn't been able to deal with properly. My oldest sister got into drugs and alcohol. She's doing phenomenal now. She did a complete 180, um, has a little girl who I love to death. And, but when all that stuff was happening, I was around maybe like 10 years old. And I just remember hearing like my family talking about it, saying like, we don't think that things are going to work out for like my older siblings. And I had one other sister who was about, she's two and a half years older than me. She was doing really well, like in school and everything. So I followed her lead basically. And I wanted to make sure that like, we always had enough money. I wanted to make sure that I never had to worry about that stuff again, where like I couldn't get gear or, you know, in high school, I couldn't, I would put like $5 into my gas tank. And I was like, I can't live like this. And so I guess I was kind of driven not only for like a better future, but also because like I wanted the attention of my parents and I didn't feel like I had gotten what I wanted. Like, you know, cause you have to be nurtured as a kid. And when your parents are going through their own stuff, it's hard for them to nurture you. And so I was looking for validation in so many different ways and sports and academics and all that was how I tried to get it. And it, ultimately led to my downfall. Yeah. And so you're the youngest in your family. Yes, I am. Yeah. I I'm the youngest in my family as well. And I'm the only girl. And so mm-hmm. I can kind of relate to you because in my family, my older siblings have dealt with their own issues as well. And I mm-hmm. felt like I because I was considered the princess. So like, I felt like I needed to like show up better. Like I needed to not mess up. Yeah. And so I I can, yeah, I can definitely relate to you in that way. And yeah. And at such, such a young age to be seeing all these things as well. And just, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm sure your parents were, were focused on your older siblings because they had all that going on. And so, yeah, you weren't getting that, that attention. Yeah, for sure. Then it's like looking back, it was really, really tough. But looking at where I am now, it's made me like such a, I'm way more empathetic now than I ever think I would have been if I hadn't dealt with that stuff. And so I don't like to say you have to go through stuff like that, but it does make you a better person if you make it through it. And so I'm grateful for it. Some people may not be, but I I am. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I totally believe that like definitely past experiences have do really build you into the person you are today. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to know what, what helps you cope when you are, when you start to feel down and like, how, how do you build yourself out of those dark moments? Over the years, I've really come to find different ways. So for me now, when I start to feel super anxious, It's a lot of deep breathing and meditation. And then once I do that, I go right into writing all those thoughts down. That's really helped me, especially like being here. Like I I still struggle with stuff, but not as bad as I used to. Uh, Another thing I like is I have certain playlists. So 
I have a California love and playlist where I remember home. I have like country playlist. I have just playlists that take me back to a different time that made me really happy. Um, so I'll listen to music and even like going for walks, like a 10, 20 minute walk. It's crazy how much that can change your entire mood, just like getting moving and not staying in your room. And then one of the biggest things is FaceTiming my best friends all over the world when I'm feeling down, like even if it's not like a crazy conversation where we're like telling each other crazy stories, it's just like them being there, like that connection is really important for me. So yeah, connecting with people, walks, meditation, those are some of the big things for me. I love doing those things as well. And for me, I struggle to like get outside sometimes when I'm, cause I find that I'm, my thoughts are just like swirling in my head mm-hmm. and I, I freeze, like I can't move. Yeah. So what would you suggest if someone feels that way? Like they, like what's a really small step that they could do that would propel them to go outside or to listen to music, meditate? I would say, I mean, for me here, one of the reasons that I go on long walks is because I walk dogs. <laughs> and so I, I picked up that not only for the endorphins of petting dogs, but also <laughs> just like them getting me outside because it is really dark here. And like some days I don't want to leave. And I would say like another thing is, it's just like getting a friend to go with you. It's like me and one of my roommates will go for a walk, maybe just like 10, 15 minutes down to the water and we come back. But like that has made all the difference just being able to get outside and like having someone there with you, especially because then you're not alone. So like having an accountability partner is super helpful. Uh, When it comes to meditation and writing, I would say starting super, super small, like 30 seconds. If that's all you can get out, do it one minute. Sure. Like I never do more than maybe 10 minutes at a time. And so like, just recognizing when you're not feeling well and just what I do is I'm laying in my bed and then I just put my legs up against the wall and then I start my meditation that way. <laughs> and it's like super easy. I don't even have to leave my bed. So like finding it like simple ways to make it happen is what I would say is one of the easiest things to do. Yeah. And I agree with that with journaling. Like when I first started, I'd really force myself. I'm like, I don't know what to write. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I would be like, today was a good day or like, I'll just like start right. And then it would like, then come out of my brain. Like, okay, like Mm -hmm. that's what happened. And so, yeah, I completely agree. Just like do it for 30 seconds, like write anything and yeah, you eventually get better at it or at least Mm -hmm. like more open with yourself. Yeah, for sure. And so I really want to know what you've learned about yourself and the beliefs you have around mental health throughout your life? I definitely, one big thing I would say is that I learned to be open because I, when I was going through all my stuff, my freshman year, I was not open. Nobody knew, not even my best friend knew what I was going through internally. Some teachers could tell, some parents could tell, but other than that, nobody knew. And so when I started to get to like the 11th grade, that's when I started actually talking about all the stuff going on. And then I reached out to my mom and I said, I really need a therapist. I need someone to talk to. And she reacted in a way that like, I wasn't very fond of, but my oldest sister backed me up and was like, she's asking for help. You need to get her the help that she needs right now. And 
because of that, I got my first therapist, I think maybe the beginning of my 12th grade year or end of my 11th. And that's when I started to feel seen and heard. And I realized like that was definitely what I needed. And so being open and honest, having like that support network is super important. That's like one of the biggest things that I've learned because when you're going through all of the mental health journey, you realize that the biggest thing that you're lacking is connection and, you know, feeling alone. But in reality, you're never really alone. It's just harder to feel it whenever you can't really feel much, especially you're struggling with like depression. But yeah, I've learned a lot just throughout the years, different things, usually about myself, how to help others. But I don't think the journey is ever going to be over, honestly. It's going to keep going, which is kind of a sucky part about it, but it's still nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You keep learning. But yeah, it's never really like you, you just are developing and you just mm-hmm. keep learning, keep doing and having new experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Just as you mentioned about therapy, I'm looking at your social media. I know that you're a big advocate for therapy. And so what would you say is the most important or beneficial parts of going to therapy? I think one of the most beneficial parts of going to therapy is the fact that, first of all, they're professional. They know what you're going through and they're not there to give you sympathy or anything like that. They're there to help you process everything. And that was like the biggest breakthrough for me was being able to talk to someone that understood why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, able to repeat it back to me. I'm like, oh, they said it in a different way. This now makes sense why I feel like crap. <laughs> so I love talk therapy for that reason. And I know like a lot of other people too, like I've done, I've been to like a, not only a psychologist, but someone that could provide medicine. So I've used medicine in the past. I don't use it anymore because I didn't like the way it made me feel, but I know some people it works really well. So talk therapy plus medicine. Usually it's like a combination of things. Like a lot of people can't just do talk therapy alone. It's like, you have to figure out what works for you. Yeah, that's great. And I, I haven't personally been to therapy. I've thought about it, (laughs) but I know that I think there, well, no, there definitely is a stigma around therapy and like getting help, especially as athletes. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like we are just always told push through it just like, Oh, you're weak. If you can't, if you can't do it. And so, yeah, I love that you're so open about that and that it's okay to feel down and get the help you need for it. Mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah. It was like in college, I knew so many athletes that were dealing with mental health struggles and were having suicidal thoughts, but they still weren't able to get the help that they wanted. And that's why like I try to be super open about it now because I mean therapy is cool in my opinion. I think it's so nice. Like I, there definitely is a stigma around it, but I think the stigma is getting smaller and smaller especially as more athletes come out and speak on it because like people like uh Simone Biles or Naomi Osaka is what I was trying to say. Them coming out speaking on it, the football players, the hockey players, Everyone that's saying stuff is just making it so much easier for the next person that's about to go through it. So super thankful for all those people. Yeah. And you're a part of that. Yeah. You're you're up there with them. (laughs) 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 All right. So now just still talking about your social media pages, but I just love it. Um, So you started an Instagram page called Female Athlete Society. 
And so I really want you to tell us about the process of creating the page and then also your inspiration behind creating it. So Female Athlete Society came about when I got back from Budapest, actually, I think that was September 2020. Yeah, 2020. And I posted on TikTok about wanting to help the next generation of athletes through recruiting, through um, managing time in school and getting to the next level, all of that. And it kind of took off. I think it got over like 120,000 likes. My DMs blew up. My DMs literally broke on Instagram and TikTok. I couldn't answer everyone. And I was like, wow, there's a real need for somebody to help these athletes. And so I created Female Athlete Society and the Instagram page was just about giving resources because like when I was growing up, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't know anything about how to get to the next level, how to train, how to feel my body properly. And so that's what we post about now on Female Athlete Society. And um yeah, I'll do like one-on-one meetings with girls. I get a lot of DMs still and I just answer their questions as it comes. But then if I get a lot of like one question, I'm just like, I'll just make a video and put it on TikTok. You can go check it out there. <laughs> but, oh, that's so yeah. amazing. That's so awesome. I, and was it overwhelming to get all of those messages? <laughs> it was very, very, very overwhelming. I was, I was dealing with like imposter syndrome at the time. I still do, but like... I was like, I don't know how to help all these athletes. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, wait, I know experience. And one thing, one of the best pieces of advice that my therapist gave me was that uh, I may not have the education, but I have the experience and that's the most important part. And I was like, girl, you are so right. That is what I needed. (laughs) And so I kind of just repeated that to myself and try to DM well, actually, I started doing like voice messages on uh, Instagram DMs to make it easier on myself. But yeah, it was definitely overwhelming in, at the beginning. I need that quote in my life because that, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was just thinking like, yes, like, cause you've lived the experience. Like, you know, that feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It definitely it even helps me now. So I'm super grateful that she, that I paid someone to tell me that. And so how has it been for you to keep up with your social media platforms while you're competing? It hasn't really been easy. I've Mm. definitely lacked the motivation, but I've um, been pretty disciplined about staying active because I know like it is necessary that athletes get this information. And it's like, it's really fun for me too. at the end of the day. Like it is one of my creative outlets that I use to like stay mentally fit. And so right now I'm probably posting like four TikToks a week, at least, if not more, getting tons of DMs still. So I'm still messaging people back. I've been, oh my gosh. I like, I don't just play hockey, which is the crazy piece of it. Like I also coach U14 boys. I coach, I coach online for some of the girls in my mentorship and I'm walking dogs here part-time and and traveling so it's kind of a lot but it all comes down to just managing time I mean like you've played a sport in college you understand like nothing's harder than playing division one sports to me so this is kind of a breeze (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true (laughs) balancing academics and then still practicing and doing races like I was a ski racer so it's Mm -hmm. It's definitely tough in college. 
Yeah. I agree and with the that. lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> what is your favorite part of creating the community? I guess you've said a lot of like, you love getting the DMs and, and creating content, but what, yeah. What else do you love about it? Really? I just love helping people. I I think that might be one of my callings in life. It brings me a lot of joy. So maybe it's a little selfish that I love helping people, but I also know that they're super grateful for it as well. And so that's kind of what keeps me going. I would say getting to talk to girls one-on-one and like hearing their stories and just being there for them. Because I remember like I needed someone there for me when I was younger. And so like, I just want to be the person that I needed when I was younger for these girls now. So I, I, it's just very rewarding to me. That That is me. Like, I I feel the same way. Like, what keeps me going with this podcast is how I feel when I talk to people like you and knowing that your story, if when it gets out and people listen to it, that someone would be able to relate to it in some way and that could, could help them. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, that's just the biggest motivator. And it's not selfish at all that you want to help people. Like that's just that's amazing. And it's, it's so rewarding for for you to pass that down to the young like your younger self. Mm-hmm. For sure. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna know what do you love to do outside of sports, outside of your community that people would maybe not know about you that you they would see on social media well but everyone knows I love to travel so I'd have to scratch <laughs> that one <laughs> I enjoy reading a lot I listen to a ton of podcasts I really I like traveling to new cities and just walking around the city and just being nameless to everyone like nobody knows who I am and I can just be anonymous I think that's like that's really fun for me just because it gives me a break from everything. As much as I'm on my phone, I don't like being on my phone, but being able to disconnect, even like going hiking, that's one of my favorite things to do. I don't do it enough, especially during the season, but like in the summertime, I try to get out as much as possible. And uh, I love snowboarding. It's a lot of fun for me. I'm not good, but I like it because it's a challenge. <laughs> Looking at your page, So you've gone to cities and just explored by yourself. Yeah. For me. So I, this is just personal. Like I want to like know about this. So how do you get past the like nervousness of going by yourself? And I feel like, especially for women going to a new city like that, that scares me. So I'm just wanting to know like how you, how you handle yourself and really like get past the nerves of like going somewhere new. Yeah. So, I mean, since I was 15 years old, I've been traveling by myself. Like I've driven my car. I told you I drove all the way to college by myself and my little Nissan Altima, I've driven across the country. But when I was in college, like I had this travel bug and I really wanted to get going to like Europe and all those places. I went to the Philippines first, my family. So that was the first country outside of like Canada and the US that I had been to. Um, cause we have family there. And so that's when I was like, yes, once I graduate, I'm out of here. So I think like having a little bit of independence and knowing that I needed to find what I liked outside of sports that helped push me to the traveling. Um, but once I graduated, I actually went on like a 70 day backpacking trip through Europe. 
Um, most of it was solo. Sometimes I met up with other friends. A lot of times I met other people. And I think the fun part for me was just like getting to see all these places that I had seen on other people's Instagrams. And I'm like, wow, I'm finally getting to experience this culture. Um, all the food that you get to eat. Like, I think what I see it as is like, the benefits of traveling alone is that you can meet so many amazing people. And so like, I was so down to just go by myself. And uh, some of the best cities that I visited were like in Italy or in Croatia, like I joined a bachelor party <laughs> and I, I was just by myself and they were like, do you want to join? I was like, yeah, I'm down. And so I joined a bachelor party and I, I met some other crazy people in um, like Venice and in Florence and I'm like still friends with them. And I think that's like the most beautiful part of traveling is you meet so many people that are like-minded or even have different views and you can learn so much from them. That is so cool. And <laughs> I want, <laughs> I'm like thinking about the logistics and I, I get to work on that because I can really like get in my head about things instead of being like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, I really want to travel, but, and I'm like thinking about like all of that, but I have done that with friends and just meeting new people. Yeah. And it has been the best memories that I've had 100%. is just meeting those people and just it's, yeah, it's just a, such a cool experience. Yeah. I would definitely say if you have the time, if you have like two or three weeks time to take off, just book a one, a two-way trip, obviously. And you got to go two ways, I guess, if you only have three weeks. But don't book anything in between. Just if you see something that you want to go do, book it and go. So like that's what, that's what I did for my 70 days. It's like I never really had a plan. I just was like, oh, that looks cool. Oh, my friends are going to Santorini. Oh, I guess I'll join them. Let's just take a short <laughs> five-hour flight there. Or, um, oh, my friend has a house in the Czech Republic. Sure, I'll leave. Let's go. <laughs> and even like my, the last concert that I went to was, well, not the last one, but the one that when I was backpacking Europe was Martin Garrick's concert on the 4th of July. And it was in Ibiza. And I was like, where was I at the time? I was in Italy. I was like, let's just fly to Ibiza. Why not? <laughs> notice that's like that's the fun of traveling is you can do whatever you want yeah that that just that sounds awesome in my head <laughs> I like that that is so cool that you've been to all those places and they've just been on a whim mm -hmm. yeah. I love that it's, it's been a good experience for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> so finishing up here I just want to ask one last question You've been so open and honest throughout this whole chat. I really appreciate you being on here. And I know someone listening is going to really resonate. And I can't wait for them to DM you eventually. Like, I hope I get to hear from it too, like how they, how you have helped them. And so one last question, if my listeners could take one thing from this amazing chat, what would that be? I would say listening to your mind and body because I think one of the biggest things like I've dealt with in my life is my depression and my anxiety and being able to listen to myself now and not pushing myself too far or taking the breaks when I need it has made all the difference for me. So if you could take anything away, just listen to yourself, know yourself and don't push yourself past your limits if you're not ready for it. Yeah, I think that's it. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. I love that. Oh, yeah. Just thank you so much for coming on. And 
I'm I'm so excited for this to come out and for people to just enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me. I love having these conversations. I'm just like you when it comes to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, good luck this season and yeah, just enjoy it. Will do. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. If you love this episode or want to support the podcast, please click on that subscribe button and leave a rating and review. I would be forever grateful. You can also follow and connect with me on Instagram at Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast and on my website at emmawoodhouse.ca. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on breaking those barriers to your inevitable breakthrough.